Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Scarlet City Church. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jay O'Brien, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors at Scarlet City. And uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Feel free to use your table of contents or smartphone. I'll assume you're not doing last-minute purchases. Christmas is here, in case you didn't know. And uh, we're in Isaiah 9. We've been in a sermon series looking at the names of Jesus from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, looking at Jesus as the mighty God. Jesus as the wonderful counselor or advisor. Jesus as the prince of peace. And this morning, looking at Jesus as the everlasting Father. And I think it's fitting because um, uh, this is my first time preaching in four weeks. Megan and I celebrated the birth of our uh, third boy, Owen. And so excited, uh, grateful for God in all the ways. And so fatherhood's on the mind. We're not preaching on it just because that's part of my story recently. Uh, we're preaching on it because that's what Isaiah speaks of Jesus being, the everlasting Father. I want to read our passage. We're going, to lead our, we're going to read our whole text here, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through uh, verse 7. The prophet, speaking on behalf of God, writes, The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. You have enlarged the nation. You give them great joy. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters rejoice as warriors celebrate when they divide up the plunder. For their oppressive yoke and the club that strikes their shoulders, the cudgel the oppressor uses on them, you have shattered as in the day of Midian's defeat. Indeed, every boot that marches and shakes the earth and every garment dragged through blood is used as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, he shoulders responsibility and is called Wonderful Advisor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast and He will bring immeasurable prosperity and, and will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forever and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of Heaven's armies will accomplish this. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Well, Christmas season is an interesting season in many respects. There's much talk about joy and love. We sing about joy, joy to the world. Uh, we watch movies about joy in the midst of the conflicts of relationships and families visiting and searching for gifts and putting up lights. There's talk about joy and happiness. And yet, by the increase of hours and therapists and counselors, amidst all this talk about joy, there's often a feeling of sadness. We can sing joy to the world, and yet we feel sorrow in our heart. And I think part of what makes Christmas a difficult season for many is amidst all the external lights and parties and festivities, it reveals the inner darkness that we feel inside. 
We are longing for joy, longing for love, and yet it feels impossible to experience in the ways in which we desire. As we close out this conversation about the names of Jesus, we're reminded as Isaiah is speaking to God's people, they're living in darkness. Conquering armies are in their future. The Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire that Isaiah speaks of will come and conquer God's people. All their dreams, all that they long for will be taken away. It will be shattered. Isaiah says, in the midst of that life, a son will be given. A child will be born. Light is coming. And so for us this morning, what can we receive that can bring the great joy that we all desire? Isaiah says that a Messiah will come, a son will come, and he is the one who will bring light to God's people in darkness. Now, when he says that Jesus is the everlasting Father, I think there's a little bit of confusion there because we're Trinitarian here, so we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so what is Isaiah saying about Jesus when he says he's the everlasting Father? And here's, here's where we're going this morning. Here's the big idea that we're going to unpack. How Jesus can bring truly great joy. Through the given Son's work, we belong in the family of God for eternity. Through the given Son's work, we belong in the family of God for eternity. I want to show you, irrespective of where you're at this morning, whether you're here and you feel the darkness of Christmas, Or if you're here and you're excited, it's right around the corner, can't wait to exchange the gifts, but we know that no gift you get on Christmas morning is going to bring the great joy, I want to show us this morning how Jesus, the Son given, can bring the joy that we all long for. Through the given Son's work, we belong in the family of God for eternity. The first way in which Jesus can bring great joy, we're reminded here that it's through the given son's work. Joy is something we receive. Isaiah puts it this way in verse 6. He says, for a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. And then he says, he shoulders responsibility. He, the son, the child given, shoulders responsibility. Some of us struggle to shoulder responsibility. In fact, as we think about the concept of a father, for you, maybe there's a deep father wound that you have because your dad was absent. Your father didn't shoulder the responsibility to protect, provide for, and care for you in your life. Some of us struggle to shoulder our responsibility. Others of us struggle to shoulder all the responsibility. We feel responsible for everything. And this Christmas season can be a source of stress because Christmas can bring so much pressure. We feel the pressure to give the perfect, amazing gifts to our children and friends. We feel the pressure to cook amazing food, the pressure to host 
friends and family over and have the perfect looking home. The pressure to have fun. The pressure to be joyful. And we look on our social media feeds and on Instagram and it doesn't help because we see our friends smiling and their perfect picture and their perfect attire and the lights, it all looks so good. And we, we think we're, the pressure to have it all together. Of course, this pressure we feel at Christmas season is symptomatic of the pressure we feel in life. The pressure to look the part, the pressure to shoulder the responsibility to have it all together. And many of us feel this pressure as it relates to God. And some of that pressure that as it is transferred onto God comes from our relationship with our fathers. Rather than it being one of encouragement, we feel added pressure as it relates to our parents. Dad, I made the sports team. Are you starting? Dad, I got an A on the exam. What's your GPA? Dad, I was accepted into college. What school? Dad, I, I want to be a teacher. How much money do teachers make? We have to feel this pressure, this parental pressure on our life, trying to shoulder enough responsibility to measure up and we transfer that on to God. And we look at God as the ultimate Father. Looking down on us saying, if only you could do enough. God, I, I prayed. How long? God, I've been studying your scripture. How much do you know? God, I've served. God, I went to church for how long? And the interesting thing, though, the interesting thing is that Jesus isn't the Father who adds the pressure on your life. He's the Father who takes responsibility. He takes the pressure off. Reminded in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus' message, He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Jesus is the everlasting Father, the Father who seeks to shoulder the burden of responsibility so that His children can walk in love and grace and acceptance. The gospel is the good news, not of what Jesus commands us to do. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf so that we could experience salvation and relationship with God. Jesus, Jesus as a father who shoulders responsibility, but we also go on. Through the given son's work, we belong. We belong. It says he's everlasting father. A father, Jesus brings us into the family of God as children. As children. There's a difference between belonging somewhere and simply residing somewhere. Jesus says our Father invites us to belong in the family of God. And now belonging brings with it a number of 
different aspects, one of which is being loved. Jesus as the Father means that Jesus loves you and me. We're not just welcomed in, we belong in. We're not just tolerated in the home, but we're wanted in the home. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 23, speaking of His people. Listen to the heart here. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often have I longed to gather you? How long have I longed to gather you? Gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Here we see the maternal aspect of Jesus. Jesus using the metaphor of a, of a mother longing to gather her children. This means that you're loved. You're loved. You belong in the family of God through Jesus. He looks at you and He delights in you. You are a gift to Him. A gift Jesus, your Father. A father loves their child. Jesus is a good father who loves his children, who loves you. When I think of the love a father has, I, I think of the book, When Breath Becomes Air, written by a neurosurgeon, Paul Kalanethi, and It's a memoir describing his last days. And he's wrestling with death and and what it's teaching him about life. He's been a neurosurgeon who's been walking with others, helping others as they've been on the journey toward potential death. And now he has come down with cancer and is wrestling, dealing with his coming death. And he writes about what he learns about about it as it relates to his newborn daughter. And listen to what he says. It'll appear on the screen. It's a longer quote, so follow with me. The doctor says, everyone succumbs to finitude. I suspect I am not the only one who reaches this pluperfect state. Most ambitions are either achieved or abandoned. Either way, they belong in the past. The future, instead of the latter toward the goals of life, flattens out into a perpetual present. Money, status, all the vanities the preacher of Ecclesiastes described hold so little interest, a chasing after wind indeed. Yet one thing cannot be robbed of her futurity, my daughter Katie. I hope I'll live long enough that she has some memory of me. Words have a longevity I do not. I thought I could leave her a series of letters. But what would they really say? I don't know what this girl will be like when she is 15. I don't even know if she'll take to the nickname we've given her. There is perhaps only one thing to say to this infant, who is all future, overlapping briefly with me, whose life, barring the improbable, is all but past. The message is simple. When you come to one of the many moments in life, when you must give an account of yourself, provide a ledger of what you have been and done and meant to the world, do not, I pray, discount that you filled a dying man's days with the 
exceeded joy, a joy unknown to me in all my prior years, a joy that does not hunger for more and more, but rests satisfied in this time right now. That is an enormous thing. What a message. What a gift. He says, when you have to provide an account, a ledger of what you have been, hear this, just you meant so much to your father. There's nothing that she needed to do to earn her dad's joy and love. Merely living was enough. I think this captures the unconditional love of a father. And when Jesus looks at you, that is what he sees. That is what he sees. He does not look at you and think, if only they could just do more. He looks at you and he delights. He isn't bored of you. He loves you. You're beloved. Through the given son's work, we belong in the family of God. Not only do we belong, we belong in the family of God. Jesus is the everlasting father and he's not a single, he's not a single dad. He's not a dad to only you. You're not an only child. You're part of a family. And this is a gift because around Christmas, we can feel so alone. We can feel isolated. We can wonder if we have a home. We can be surrounded by people in a church service. We can be surrounded by family around a table, and yet we can feel, we can wonder if we're wanted. We can wonder if we, if we belong anywhere. And, and it's interesting to think of, being reminded of Jesus' Father, that right now, right now, the family of God is worshiping him here and all around the world. I mean, around this room, you know, it's Christmas season at Scarlet City. We have a lot of young people. A lot of people are visiting families away for the holidays. And right now, our families worshiping in other places. Praise God. Right now in this room, there's people's families here who aren't typically here. It doesn't matter if this is your home or not. Around this room, this is a family. We're not just people meeting in a space. This is brothers and sisters. Right now, around our city, this very moment, different churches are gathering. Our brothers and sisters are worshiping God. They're taking communion. They're, they're, they're talking about the same message of hope and the gospel of peace and love that Jesus brings. I think of uh, the different expressions of church in our city. I think of Zenos, gathering in homes gathering in for central teachings, and they don't do music like we do, and they're passionate about discipleship and evangelism. Praise God for our brothers and sisters at Zenos. Think of our brothers and sisters at Hope City House of Prayer. They're focused on prayer and the presence of God, the power of that. Praise the Lord for our brothers at Hope City House of Prayer. I think of our brothers and sisters at Sanctuary Columbus this morning meeting in their new church that they just bought, their new facility. Praise God for our brothers and sisters at Sanctuary. Churches all over the city are gathering, celebrating, taking communion, worshiping the same Jesus that we do. I think of the church on a mission, the Nepali congregation. They'll be meeting here later this afternoon. Praise God for our brothers and sisters. It's not just around the city, though. Around the 
country, around the world. God's people are gathering, our brothers and sisters. I think of our brothers and sisters in Oxford, England at Trinity Church. I think of our brothers and sisters in India praying for us. I think of our brothers and sisters in Iran where the fastest growing church around the world is exploding. What's, what's our point here? Here's the point. Jesus as Father, He welcomes you and I into a multicultural, a multi-generational family. We have brothers and sisters that go back generations. We have brothers and sisters around the world now, and we have brothers and sisters who will be doing the same thing, taking up the cause of Jesus after we're gone. Jesus, as our everlasting Father, invites us into a family. An everlasting spiritual home. There's no place you'll ever go. No place you'll ever be. Will you will not be a part of God's family. Jesus, as the everlasting Father, invites us to belong in the family of God. But also, lastly, we belong in the family of God for eternity. For eternity. He's not simply a father. Isaiah says he's the everlasting father. The everlasting father. And he puts it this way in verse 7. He says, he will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. An eternal kingdom. Now, for many of us, everlasting, eternal, that's hard to swallow. Hard to believe. And this Christmas season, some of the darkness that we feel, some of us, is the people who aren't present, who were present in the past. People who have died. People who, due to the brokenness and death of relationships, are no longer there. There's a sense of sadness. And also, there's a sense of sadness that we might feel knowing what the future will bring as death awaits. You can, as you're opening gifts, look around the room and know that one day everyone in that circle will die. Like, jeez, pastor. <laughs> Talking about great joy. <sighs> the French existentialist philosopher Albert Camus, I think, captures this well. He has a famous essay called The Myth of Sisyphus, and in it he recounts this story, probably not one you want to share around Christmas with the kids, but he shares this metaphor that describes the state that we're in. He says there's a man, he's a working man, and on his day off he's excited to enjoy life, but someone shows up in the morning, a stranger shows up and puts a gun to his head and says, I'm going to kill you. But I'm a benevolent killer, I'm a gracious killer. I'm a kind killer, and so I'm going to give you two hours to enjoy anything you want in life. But then you will die. And of course, Camus is illustrating the point that the man can't enjoy anything in those last hours because he knows 
death is right around the corner. It doesn't matter what espresso you get. It doesn't matter how beautiful the sky. It doesn't matter because everything is shaped, seen, experienced through the death that awaits. And this is Camus' attempt at a metaphor to explain the situation we're all in. We're all in. And he calls it, his whole point of his writing is addressing the absurdities of life. And his tension, his question is, is it even worth living? Is it even worth living? You know, if Camus showed up at our church this morning hearing talk about everlasting, eternal, if he showed up at your city group, your small group, you're talking about the hope that Jesus brings, he would look and say, all right, the absurdity of life. On what basis can we have hope that this God will come through? On what basis can we have hope? You know, as we're reading this in Isaiah, I'm mindful of Isaiah speaking to God's people, this small nation, Israel, who will be conquered by the Assyrians, the great Assyrian Empire. And then they will be conquered by the Babylonians, the great Babylonian Empire. And imagine in that moment, being defeated, being conquered, and someone shows up in your home. Isaiah has a message for us. The prophet Isaiah has a message from God. Here it is. They didn't have a Bible then, so they would have unrolled the scroll. Here it is. Take hope, everyone. Guess what? A child's coming. <laughs> yeah. Good news. A child's going to be born. A son's going to come. He's going to be mighty God, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, and he's going to defeat everybody. Camus right there in that moment, he's going to look around. Come on. Who are we what, he's going to defeat the Assyrian Empire? He's going to defeat the Babylonian Empire? And the Roman Empire after that? And yet we live with the perspective looking back that that's exactly what happened. The Assyrian Empire, no more. Babylonian Empire, no more. Roman Empire, no more. Israel, still here. Church, expanding. When we look at back and we see the power of God to overcome, to overcome the greatest powers of the world, we can have courage. And the same God who worked to deliver His people then is the same God who worked to raise Jesus from the dead, and that's the same God at work to redeem His people. Isaiah says, there is hope. You might not feel it. You might not see it now. You might only know darkness, but a light is coming. Earlier, shared the story of one father speaking about his coming death and how that shaped his relationship with his daughter. I want to close mindful of one father whose daughter was facing death. A professor of mine, Dr. John Hanna, was an amazing, wise old man, loved the Lord, and he, he majored in philosophy. 
you was someone who spoke to the real questions that we have. And I remember him sharing a story about his daughter. His daughter had come down with a disease. She needed surgery, and there was a high probability that she was not going to make it. And I believe she was in her young 20s. He said, what do you say in that moment? What do you say? My daughter was getting, she was on the, the bed being ready to take away. Your last potential last words, he said, I held her hand. He said, I, I, I wanted to say it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be great. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through the surgery, and it's going to be wonderful. But he said, I didn't want my last words right then to be a lie. Like, dang, doctor. <laughs> I didn't want my last words to be a lie. But he said, I held her hand, and I told her the truth. I said, honey, I love you. And you might not make it out of the surgery. But one day, one day, I'm going to see you again. And we're going to be in an open field. And I'm going to run to you. And I'm going to hold you in my arms. And we're going to be together forever. He said she went away. She said, I'm scared. He said, I'm here praying for you. Friends, Jesus, as the everlasting Father, means through him we have a future. Camus is wrong. He's wrong. Jesus is the one who comes along, and when the gun is pointed at our head and says the end is near, he pulls it away. And he says, my people, my people, will experience ultimate resurrection. How is Jesus the gift that can bring true, great joy? Through the work of the given Son, we belong in the family of God for eternity. Dr. Hannah's daughter lived, <laughs> but death awaits her and all of us. Where is our hope? Let's pray. Lord, this Christmas season, amidst the tension of the darkness and the light, may we put our faith in you and your Son. God, thank you for sending a Son who is mighty God, a wonderful counselor, a prince of peace, and an everlasting father. May we find our, may we find him as the one to shoulder responsibility that we may walk in the lightness of your truth and grace. Amen.